We're reading from Psalm 103. So this is a Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is God's word. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Andrew, if I haven't met you. Uh, also, feel free to say good day to me after, after uh, the service. Love to meet new people. Uh, to begin today, I just want to put a picture up of one of my favourite flowers. I think they'll go up in a sec. Uh, this flower is what's called the Hoya vine flower. Maybe you've seen it before. I might have been pronouncing that wrong. Hoya vine flower, however you say it right. Uh, now, I'm not particularly a flower guy, but I've come to love this particular flower for two reasons. And the first one is that this flower, it reminds me of my lovely old neighbour, Fernando. Uh, now, Fernando was the neighbour at our last house. Uh, he was a, a lovely old uh, Angolan man. We didn't get to know each other super well because uh, his English was very broken and my Portuguese was even worse. Uh, but his pride and joy was his Hoya vine flower. Uh, and when it was in bloom, we'd just hear over the fence, my neighbour, my neighbour, looky, looky. Beautiful, beautiful. And, uh, and of course, we'd go and enjoy looking at it. Uh, so it's special because it reminds me of him. But, um, but I also love this flower because it is truly beautiful. Now, I don't know if you can make this out. I've got a few other photos there. But this flower is actually made up of many little flowers, each in a star shape. Uh, and these flowers, they come together like a jigsaw puzzle to make almost an exact half sphere. Uh, and each little star actually has another little star on the inside and in another colour uh, inside that as well. That's a beautiful flower, right? Uh, isn't it amazing God imagine a flower like that? Just because he can. Just because he can. We might be thinking, why am I uh, banging on about flowers at the start of the sermon? Well, a bit like examining a flower from different angles to fully appreciate its beauty. Uh, the sermon series that we are currently in 
is a series in which we're seeking to consider the compassionate heart of God from all sorts of different angles too. Uh, each week for nine weeks, uh, we're looking at a different Bible passage that, that tells us something of God's heart and compassion. And as we've heard, our goal is to fully appreciate his beauty, uh, its beauty of his heart, so that we might relate to him rightly and, and reflect him rightly into the world around us. And so this is our third week in the series, and as we just heard today, we're looking at Psalm 103. Uh, it's one of the most loved psalms in the Bible, and it's one which delights line after line in the compassion and love of God. And so with that as an intro, would you pray with me, and then we'll, we'll look at what this, this psalm has to say. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your faithful love and for the opportunity to gather as your children today. Thank you for this beautiful psalm that you inspired and all that you will speak to us through it. Uh, you know the needs of our heart today. And so we pray that you draw our attention to the truths we need to be reminded of. And we ask this so our hearts might be strengthened and bolstered and so that we might be conduits of your grace and compassion to the world around us. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's, it's little wonder that Psalm 103 is deeply loved by many. Uh, it's little wonder that many of the words of this psalm turn up in contemporary worship songs and uh, on artwork and coffee cups and T-shirts. And it's little wonder because Psalm 103 is a psalm full of wonderful truths and promises, a psalm full of ready-made lyrics to lift the downcast heart. Now, psalm 103, it's what's known as a psalm of praise. And what that means is all about the praise of God. And so perhaps you noticed as it was read a minute ago, uh, unlike many other psalms, uh, Psalm 103, it doesn't have a, a single prayer request of God. Uh, that's, not a, that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's very good to bring our needs to God. But this psalm has one thing as its target from start to end, the praise of God. Well, in terms of an outline today, uh, today we're essentially just going to work our way through this psalm. Uh, first of all, we're going to consider the petition to praise that this psalm begins with. See that in verse 1 and 2. Uh, then we're going to consider the portrait of God's heart that we find in this psalm. Uh, verses 3 right through to 20 uh, gives us all sorts of reasons to praise God and, and each reveals something of his heart. So we're going to wander our way through. And then we're going to wrap up by considering the symphony of praise that the psalm ends with. Uh, so that's where, we, that's where we're going today. Well, on that note, let's look at the opening verse. This petition to praise the psalm begins with. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Okay, so the psalm, it begins with a, a call to bless the Lord. And in case that word bless is not super familiar, uh, it means to, in, in this context, it means to speak to God or of God with adoration and gratitude and joy. Uh, if you've got an NIV Bible, you might see it. It says, praise the Lord there. That's, that's a good translation, to praise the Lord. Now, for many of us, these opening words, they're very, very familiar. We've heard them many times. We've sung them many times. Uh, and I think for that reason, it's easy to miss who David is addressing in them. Uh, and who's he addressing? Well, it's easy for us to miss. He's actually speaking to none other than himself in this psalm, to his own soul. And, and he's speaking with emotion and passion and, and desperation. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Uh, whenever you see an O in the Psalms, like O oh, my soul, there's a cue to desperation or emotion uh, there. Well, I wonder what gets you passionately, emotionally speaking to yourself. 
Is it, is it frustration at a mistake you made? Like, why did I do that? Why did you do that? Uh, is it joy at an achievement? Yes, you did it. Uh, is it to spur yourself on? Like, come on, you can do it. Um, I'll admit I'm definitely a passionate self-talker during exercise, uh, particularly when the going should be hard. Uh, if you've ever overtaken me while we're riding up a hill, you would be able to bear witness to this, probably. Uh, alternatively, you may have heard me sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star as you rode past. Uh, somebody told me years ago that's the right tempo and cadence to, to keep going up a hill. So, uh, I've been known to do that. Uh, now, I have, I have learned that I need to be mindful how loudly I encourage myself <laughs> when I'm doing exercise. I'm, I'm not quite professional tennis player level uh, encouragement, but I have had kids and neighbours come to check I'm okay or answer questions they thought I'd asked. Okay, so like me spurring myself on in exercise, David is here. He's, he's firing himself up in worship. He's calling his soul, everything inside him, to praise the Lord. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I think these words, from none other than King David, they're really helpful and instructive. And I, I say that for two reasons in particular. Uh, firstly, they're helpful because they remind us that God is worthy of worship not just, and, and gratitude and affection, not just of our mouth, but our all too. They challenge us to desire wholehearted worship uh, rather than being comfortable and content, kind of just going through the motions with, with disengaged insides. But the second reason they're helpful is they tell us we shouldn't be surprised if, if we can sometimes feel a bit dull or lethargic or lukewarm in our worship. And I say that because, I mean, here we've got King David, the guy described in the Bible as a man after God's heart, and, and he recognised he needs to stir his own soul and heart to worship. Now, if, if that's the case, then it should be no surprise we might need to fire up ours as well. So on that note, uh, let me ask, where are you at today? Uh, is your heart and soul and all engaged and excited to bless the Lord? Does it need a bit of a nudge today to wake up prevent you just going through the motions. Maybe you're sitting there thinking your soul needs a bit of CPR given the week you've had or the circumstances you're in. How, how dull or despairing your heart is at present. Wherever you are, glad you're here. And let's read on, see if the verses here can lift your heart like they lifted David's. Okay, well that brings us to point two, the portrait of God's heart we find in this psalm. Uh, as I said, through verses 3 to 20, we're just given all sorts of reasons to praise God, uh, all sorts of things about his heart. So we'll work through those. I'll read the first five verses again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Um, just to clarify, in the Psalms, when you see that word pit, that's often a reference to death or the, the grave. Think of a, a pit that you might be put when you, when you die. And so that's a, that's a promise of eternal life, resurrection. Uh, verse 5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That is a pretty amazing list of benefits, Right? I mean, right from the get-go, we are given a, a glimpse of the incredible compassion and love of God, the incredible grace of our God. Uh, that last line might be a little bit obscure. I think, what does that actually mean? 
Well, in, in David's time, the eagle, it was a symbol of vitality and strength and endurance. You might imagine a, a, a magnificent eagle flying overhead. And that's what David has in mind here. Uh, in verse 5, he said, God satisfies his people with good. And this word good is deliberately broad. Uh, good gifts, good promises, his goodness and sufficiency. And the consequence of his doing that is his people are renewed and strengthened, able to press on with vitality through different seasons of life. And we actually find a similar promise to this in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 and 31. Uh, you, you may know this one, another one that features on lots of coffee cups and posters around the place. Uh, if, if you don't know, you can, you can look it up later on. Isaiah 40, 30, 31. Now, this is really significant. Notice what comes first on David's list of benefits here. Notice it's not healing, and it's not renewal, and it's not satisfaction. And notice it's not some material blessing that God may bestow, or relational blessing that David's been given, an experiential blessing that he's enjoying. Notice the first benefit David lists, the prime benefit he can't go past, is forgiveness. And the reason is simple. Because he knows that there's no greater benefit God could offer for without this benefit, there is no relationship for, with God for a sinner like him. There is no hope for a sinner like him. Um, in his devotional uh, for the love of God, uh, Don Carson, he writes, If we have everything but God's forgiveness, we have nothing of worth. But if we have God's forgiveness, everything else of value is also promised. I think David saw things this way too. Uh, he understood that forgiveness is most wonderful and precious, astounding of blessings, and also a foundation and gateway to enjoying all the other benefits of right relationship with God. So on that note, can I ask, have you sought God's forgiveness? Have you acknowledged your sin to God and asked him for mercy? Earlier in our call to worship, Sam reminded us that whether we like to admit it or not, the fact is we are all sinners. And according to the Bible, God is just and holy. He, he can't just overlook sin. It must receive its due consequence. But, but also according to the Bible, God is incredibly, incredibly gracious, eager to forgive sin. And, and as those of us who live this side of the cross, we know just how loving our God truly is. He would come, live the life we haven't, uh, suffer the death we deserve so that we might enjoy forgiveness and life and freedom forever. So is today the day that you'll receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, that you'll receive this forgiveness and relationship with God? Well, just before we move on to the next stanza of verses, I want to speak for just a sec on, on the second part of verse 3. I think that promise can catch us a bit, particularly when we know some, some of God's people who haven't been healed of a disease might think, what do, what do we make of that verse, that promise? I think a really helpful and important way to understand these words is with a phrase that you may have heard before, and it is that God forgives immediately and heals eventually. For some, that will be in this life. For others, it will be in the life to come. But either way, healing will be absolute for all God's people. Now, I want to say there's, there's so much more could be said on, on that. 
Um, but for now, let me just say, isn't that amazing promise we have that when Jesus returns, there'll not be a single disease left unhealed for any of his people? That God, by his grace, has redeemed us from the pit of death and secured for us perfect life and health forever. Uh, that's one of those good promises of God by which the strength of God's people is renewed, by which they're able to find vitality through the most difficult seasons of life. Okay, well, let's move on to the next few verses. This psalm still has, has stacks to offer. Right? Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Again, just an, another incredible list of promises about God, right? A beautiful summary of his ways. What I really love about these particular verses is that they don't only tell us what God is like and what he's promised to be like, but the point of them is to provide assurance of this. And so I'll explain what I mean. Well, in, in these verses, you might have picked it up already, but David clearly has in mind a key moment in Israel's history. And the moment he has in mind is when the people of Israel worshipped the golden calf uh, rather, than, rather than God himself, when they rejected God in that moment. Uh, and when they did this, despite the fact God had just rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and was, setting, you know, was leading them to the promised land. So if you hear last week, we, we spoke about this moment. Uh, find it in Exodus 33:34. Well, in light of such horrendous unfaithfulness and dishonor to him, God knows that, uh, David knows that God would have been right to chide, which means to, to scold or rebuke. And he would have been right to keep his anger. And he would have been right to deal with them according to their sin and repay them according to their iniquity. Uh, these things are, are, are mentioned or, or written in the, the negative because God would have been right to do them. But he also knows what David uh, what God did, doesn't he? And as we heard last week, instead of showing his consuming anger, God instead renewed his covenant with them. He committed him, recommitted himself to them, invited them to recommit themselves to him. And the, word David, the words David quotes there in verse 8, Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's the, the words God chose to use in that very moment. And so, and so David is here reminding and assuring himself that the Lord's ways, they're not just words, they can be trusted. Now, there's something really significant about the context of this psalm that I haven't shared yet, and it requires us to do a little bit of work but, but I think you'll agree once we've done that, that that's worth the work. Uh, it'll help us see how this psalm has helped and encouraged God's people over time. And so if you've been with us the last few years, you might remember that the book of Psalms actually has five smaller books or collections of psalms within it. Uh, five smaller collections of psalms that were put together at different times in Israel's history. You'll see them marked out in your, in your Bibles. And so as a recap, books one and two... Uh, that's Psalms 1 through to 72. These psalms were composed and largely used during the life of King David. Uh, so you've got lots of psalms there about the king. You've got uh, some many personal psalms of David from different moments in his life. You, you'll see little descriptions of that under the headings of some of the psalms. Uh, you've got, um, of course, David's famous psalm of confession, Psalm 51. 
and, and many more. Then book three is a collection of, of psalms that was at a, from a really low and challenging point in Israel's history. This was uh, when they had rebelled against God and, and leading into and the exile happening. So when things had been going bad for a while, when God had been warning them against, about their persistent sin and they just kept rebelling and then the exile happened. And so there's lots of the themes in these psalms, they reflect that. Uh, there's despair, there's pleading for help, there's questions about God's faithfulness. Uh, how long, God? There is still faith that comes through there as well. So that's book three. If I jump over to book five, uh, it's Psalm 107 to 150. Uh, this is almost certainly a collection put together after the exile. Uh, there's all sorts of themes in these psalms, but, they, but many of them look forward to God's eternal rule on earth and the joy uh, and glory that that will be. And then book four is uh, the last collection there. And this is a group of, of psalms and songs and prayers that were largely being used during the exile. After they'd been in exile for a while, had some time to reflect on why they were there. This is a humble collection. It recognises that sin was the reason they were there. But it's also a hopeful collection, looking forward to the ending of their exile. And so this psalm is one of those psalms. It was penned by David, but was being used a lot at this time to encourage and assure God's people that their difficulty would not last forever, that God really did rule over all the world and would redeem and restore his people again, that he was still the same compassionate God, they could still hope in his love and mercy. So now with that as some context, let me read these words again. Just maybe place yourself there in exile, uh, waiting on God. How might these verses assure your heart? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. In other words, with the full measure our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I think it's particularly encouraging when we zoom out in history and we see that God did restore those exiles to the promised land. And I think God's heart of compassion shines through even brighter when we consider that they got off track again. And yet, God still sent his son Jesus to save us. Well, that brings us to those super special verses of Psalm 103. Uh, as I read them again, just maybe cast your mind to a sin you've recently confessed or need to confess. Let them comfort and assure you of God's grace and love again. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How far is the east from the west? We're infinitely far, right? They will never, ever meet. They could never, ever meet. Nothing could be further apart. And that's exactly the point. When, when God forgives our sin, he, he separates it from us. It is gone far as it could possibly go. We need never wonder about the, the depth of his love. If we are his, it is huge. How much higher are the heavens? Immeasurably high. 
That is the scale of God's love for his people. In verses 15 and 16, David, he seems to take a bit of a somber term, right? Uh, He highlights how fleeting our days are, how frail we are, just like grass or a flower. Here today, gone tomorrow. But he doesn't write these words to spiral us into a pit of despair. They're there to provide a powerful contrast to God's eternal steadfast love. Verse 17, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to children's children, uh, to those who keep his commandment and remember to do his, sorry, keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. So our life might be frail and finite, but God's love isn't. It's steadfast and everlasting. How, how could remembering these particular words we've just been looking through, how could, how could remembering really believing that shape how you experience this year? Just before we move to the final verses of this psalm, uh, we need to notice something really important in these wonderful and comforting verses we've just read. And, And the thing we need to notice is that these verses, they make clear that the immeasurable love and fatherly compassion that we that we see here, they're not enjoyed by the world at large. They're explicitly said to be for those who fear the Lord. You might have seen that in verse 11 and 13, here in verse 17 as well. So that might bring up two questions for us. Uh, Firstly, what what does it mean to fear the Lord? And secondly, might think, how does Jesus fit into that? Well, to put it simply, to fear the Lord is to take him seriously, Uh, to believe what the Bible says about him, about his power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth and glory, to believe he can just speak a universe into existence. Amazing. To believe that he can't turn a blind eye to sin. To believe he'll rightly judge all who rebel, but he offers mercy to all who repent. According to the Bible, such a fear is displayed in obeying him and honouring him in our life and words and heart. And coming to him for mercy when we're off track again, when we realise we're off track again. And in terms of Jesus, well, the Bible is clear that Jesus is God in the flesh come to give the fullest revelation of himself and to show his ways and love most clearly by taking our sins to the cross, by satisfying the judgment due our sins. So if we put those together, to fear the Lord is to trust in Jesus. It's to run to him for forgiveness and to receive him as Lord. So I can urge you again, uh, if if you haven't yet placed your trust in Jesus, would you do just that? Jesus is the only way to be right with God. The only way to enjoy all the blessings we've talked about in this psalm. Uh, If if that's a step you are ready to take today, please come and grab me or grab uh, somebody around you, a friend that you've you've come with perhaps. Uh, we, We would love to help you take that step. And, and just to be clear, that is not, there's not a special ritual you need to go through for that. This is the start of a relationship with God. It's involved speaking to him, acknowledging our sinfulness, asking him for mercy, acknowledging that, that we believe Jesus is who the Bible says he is, and that we want to know him as Lord. That involves taking steps to that end, uh, praying to God, getting to know his word, gathering with his people like we are today. Please take that step if you haven't already. 
if you have placed your trust in Jesus, just want to underline a few things we've heard today and then we're going to close out. Let me assure you, if you've trusted your sins and life to Jesus, all your sins have been forgiven. You need not live in fear of them. You, ha- you have been redeemed from the pit. You need not live in fear of death. You have been crowned with love and mercy, with a love that is really, really big. And your eternal satisfaction is sure. You will enjoy the strength and vitality of an eagle forever. That brings us to those final verses where David calls what I've titled a symphony of praise. Let me read them one more time for us. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. So maybe you imagine David with his conductor stand and a little sticky thing. And and he's calling all the angels, right? Tap, 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 angels. Verse 21, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Okay, host the heavenly armies of God. Tap again. Come on, you guys in as well. Verse 22, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Okay, what's that calling? Well, what's his works? Absolutely everything. What's his dominion? Absolutely everywhere. Everything in. A massive symphony David is calling for. But notice where his focus is to finish. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Was your heart warmed by the reminder of God's faithfulness and forgiveness? Uh, Are you captivated by God's favour and faithfulness to his promises? How incredible those promises and ways are. You brought to your knees in gratitude at our Lord Jesus who secured your forgiveness, your favour, future, through his death on your behalf. He touched by God's fatherly compassion, everlasting love for you and all his people. Psalm 103, it's a beautiful psalm that calls us to remember the benefits won for us by Jesus. It teaches us these benefits flow from the heart and character of God and have been shown true in history. Uh, none of us is immune to losing sight of God's mercy and grace. And so let's stir ourselves to worship by remembering these things. And let's stir one another too. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word and your truth. Thank you for the reminder of the abundant blessings that our Lord Jesus secured for us at the cost of his blood, for the reminder of your mercy and grace and love. Uh, we do not deserve these benefits, Lord, and the fact we need to remind ourselves of that just, just proves it again. But that's what makes your grace to us all the more amazing. Would you help us to trust your promises to live for you, Jesus? Because you alone are worthy of praise. Amen.